Well, praise the Lord. How's everybody this morning? Good? Feeling good? Doing good? Yeah. All right. I'm very excited about what God is doing. Um, you know, the more and more that I walk this road with the Lord, because, you know, the Lord never said it was going to be easy. Um, but I think the more and more that we are determined to walk with him and walk with him through the challenges, the more that I become convinced. I mean, I'm getting to the point now where I know there is more convincing that can happen, but you ever have that, you know, when you get married and you, like, you tell your spouse, you know, when you've been dating for like six months, you're like, I love you. And then you were married for like 10 years and you look back at them and you'd be like, I didn't love you then, you know? Like, I know in the future I'm going to be more convinced, but the way that I feel right now, I don't know that I could be more convinced about how good our God is. I mean, not because we don't go through things, but because he is always so faithful. You know what I noticed with the Lord? I've noticed that, I, I, and it's the scripture, which is where he tells us about himself, but it's literally like he has this nature where somehow he could turn the worst possible thing. Like, remember your worst day? The day that you never thought you were going to be able, remember that situation that you went through that you thought, there's no possible way God could turn this around. I tell you, I've become so convinced because I've lived through some of those situations. But it amazes me how every single time. I mean, not just some of the time, because even if it was just some of the time, that would still be good. Like, even if God would do it one out of 10 times, that would be good. I mean, that would be enough for me to say, but I tell you something, I have never gone through a situation that, I mean, never. Like, you know, never, ever, I've never, I've never gone through a situation where I haven't seen God take my worst and turn it into the best. I mean, this is literally the nature of our father is he'll take the little that we can give. You know, like the two mites, the little that I can do, the jars that have no oil in them. He'll take the little that we can do, the lunch. He'll take the little that we can do and turn it into something amazing. And that's what I feel like I want to talk about as we're kind of coming into the second half of this year. Um, I feel like what God wants to do is to kind of like revitalize us with how good, you know, the, 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 the blessing poster is kind of tucked behind the piano. And so maybe I want to like uh, proverbially move the piano away from here and remind us that 2018 is the year of the blessing of God. And not because you did something in order to deserve it. It's the year of the blessing of God just because God wants to bless you where you are. He just wants to bless you. He just wants to take that situation that you thought was impossible and turn it into something that's spectacular. He wants to give you something you don't deserve. that you're not good enough for, that you shouldn't qualify for, that you could never do on your own. 
You see, that's what the blessing is all about. There's no way that Moses and Joshua could have conquered the promised land. There's no way that Daniel and the natural could have gone into the lion's den. There's no way that David could have beat Goliath. How many of you are thankful that it, it requires very little of us? That God will meet us in our area of struggle, in our difficulty, in our darkness. That he'll meet us there and turn whatever we're experiencing into the blessing. And so that's what I want to talk about because as I've just been spending time with the Lord over the last um, probably 30 days or so, maybe a little bit longer now, uh, I keep hearing this phrase. And he's saying it to me, um, but I feel like it's prophetic for all of our, for our church and for our city and for Buffalo and what God is desiring to do. And I've been hearing this phrase constantly in my head. It's time to come up. Turn to your neighbor and say that it's time to come up. Turn to your other neighbor and say, neighbor, it's your time to come up. Now, by saying it's time to come up isn't, isn't a, a condemning word as if you are down, because some of you may very well be up. But God desires that even our up would be down in comparison to how up he wants us to get to, right? That one day your life is going to be so good that you're going to look at last year's best day, and it's the worst day compared to how good this year's best day is. I, and, and sometimes it's, you know, sometimes I can feel bad because I love preaching about positive things. But the, I mean, the scripture is all positive. Like sometimes it can feel like you're just coming to like a pep rally, you know, and I'm just saying whatever needs to be said in order to pep you up. But I tell you, I mean, this is, this is the scripture. I mean, did you know that God wants you to be happy, not sad? He wants you to be peaceful, not full of worry. He wants you... Where is a good, maybe this section over here. I'm feeling you, Andre, me and you. You know, he wants us to be peaceful and not full of worry, Gina. He wants us to be prosperous and not poor. He wants us to be healthy and not sick. He wants us to have good relationships, not bad relationships. That's actually his desire. And the way that I step into the blessing is that my life actually begins to look good and feel good, and I experience good things about, that's actually God's plan for each one of our lives. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, because although we have little to do where the blessing of God is concerned, I think about the story of David, that there was very little that he had to do in order to slay Goliath. He just had to pick up some stones and sling them. It wasn't in the stones or the slinging of the stones that he somehow defeated Goliath. It was in the power of God. But David had a, he had a part. He had to play a part. In every scripture, we're going to talk about a few stories this morning. But everybody who does something great for God or everybody who experiences something great, although they are not the ones who complete the work, they are typically the ones who initiate the work. Because there's a difference between the completer and the initiator. And I think that sometimes what can happen is, is that we're waiting for God to complete something, but also waiting for him to initiate that thing as well. But the Bible tells us that what? That when we sow, then we reap. There's an initiation that I engage with that now God has something 
in order to be able to do something marvelous with. If David wouldn't have picked up and thrown the stones, Goliath would have never been defeated. Although there wasn't, it wasn't that he picked up the magic stone. It wasn't, the story isn't David and the magic stones. It's, there was nothing, it wasn't that he had a, it wasn't a sling, it was actually a shotgun. We know that it wasn't that. It was a, so there wasn't something magical in what he had, but he did have a part. And if he didn't give God something to act upon, the miracle could never take place. And we read this, this is constant throughout scripture. Every story that you could read, you'll realize that God doesn't ever initiate anything. And I think this is valuable for us as we walk through this place. And, and, and so, you know, I, I had a similar story to this uh, in my life. I, uh, I tell this story sometimes because it's probably one of the saddest things that ever happened. But I'm not going to tell that story. This is kind of the second half of that story. Um, it, I, I told this story before when I got cut from the travel team. You guys all remember that one? I got cut. Remember, and I was too embarrassed. I went back in the locker room, and they were saying, did you make it? Did you make it? And I lied. And I said, I made it. But I really didn't make it, right? Because I was just, oh, so broken and torn on the inside. But I gotta tell you something, I didn't deserve to make that team. <laughs> I had a little bit of talent, um, but in actuality, I wasn't good enough to make the team. I made it about a lot of things, you know, it was, you know, prejudice, or it was, you know, they didn't like my dad, or, you know, we, we got a lot of excuses about why we don't. But the reality was is that, you know, I, I just wasn't good enough to make the team. And, but then I remember that summer was a really intense summer for me because I wasn't going to be 11 and quit my hockey career. I felt that it was a little too early to really give, give up on the dream of the NHL at 11. So I really got serious about playing hockey, and I remember I took a skating class. I don't remember any hockey players in here, but I remember Nancy Gruel. Nancy Gruel. It's more like Nancy Cruel was her name. Um, she was really intense, but she taught me a whole bunch of things, and I practiced, and I did whatever, and then I went out, um, like, later on, it was probably three months later, and tried out for another, like, travel team that was a better team, and not only did I make the team, I'm pretty sure I was the captain of the team, right? And um, I think that sometimes that's a lot of what Christianity can be like for us, is we have all this power on the inside of us, we have all this ability um, but because we never really tap into that, we never actually give God something to work with. Our life is a lot like me getting cut from that travel team at 11. Even though obviously the talent was there. I, I mean, three months later, I made the team, a better team, and I made it. And everything was inside of me, the, the capability, the, the drive, the desire, the whatever it was, was all on the inside of me. But because I never sowed into the gift that was on the inside of me. I never gave it time. I never tried. I never practiced. I never, you know, paid the price. I never sacrificed in order to get what was on the inside on the outside. Um, I could have quit my hockey career at 11. I was probably younger than 11. I was probably nine, truthfully. Uh, I could have quit there and, and uh, you know, never played hockey again and never realized the potential of what my life could have actually been. And I think that sometimes what can happen to us in our Christianity is that. And this is, trust me, no condemnation because I've gone around this mountain so many times and, and, I, and the reason I'm teaching this is not that I'm putting myself on a pedestal as though I've done something, but 
I really believe that if we're going to get to the place of the blessing, that there is a, there is a, a internal sacrifice that we just have to be okay with. Because when I look at these great men in the scriptures, I, I, very, I highly doubt that Daniel really wanted, like it wasn't like the lion's den was a cool club, you know? It was actually a den of lions. And I don't think that if it was David's choice that he would have ran into the battle with Goliath. I don't, I don't think that if it was Jesus's choice, he would have gone to the cross. I, I, I really don't think so. Because they weren't this species of superhumans. David felt like I feel. And he experienced what you feel. And when you're going through a difficult situation, that's probably the same emotions and feelings that Daniel would have felt as he's getting ready to be, like Shadrach, Meshach felt when they was getting ready to thrown into the fiery furnace. There was no difference, but what was different about them was they were willing to sacrifice whatever was necessary to be the people who they knew they were destined to be. You see, that's what I lacked for a long time playing hockey. I lacked the vision or the belief in the vision. I'm talking like I was some amazing hockey player. I wish I was. But that's what happened to me when I was 8, 9, 10, 11. I wasn't convinced. I, I didn't believe. I wasn't willing to sacrifice for the place, the person, the things that I knew God had for me in my future. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time this morning because I think that, you know, it's like this word breakthrough that we use. I love the word breakthrough. Do you love the word breakthrough? I mean, it's right. Totally. I got to shout there a little. Uh, breakthrough is one of those preaching words, you know, that there's a couple of really good phrases that I could use. And within 30 seconds, I could have this place like, you know, standing up on your chair, shouting. Breakthrough is one of those words. Like when you say, God's got a breakthrough for you. Does that, right? It, like, ooh, it feels, feels good. You're like, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I want it, right? But then I started thinking about the word breakthrough. And I realized for me to get a breakthrough, it means I have to break through something, right? You with me? Like, it's like some, I think that the English language, we struggle with some of these things, these, that we've been talking about love, and, you know, love is one of those things, and I think that sometimes we get so enamored by the concept of something, by like, yeah, I want to break through, and I'm going to break through, Jesus, and today's my day to break through, and then that thing comes at you that you need to break through, and you're like, oh, God, where are you, Father? I thought you said, Lord. Oh, you promised me for the breakthrough. And what is this thing that I have to break through, Father, to get to my breakthrough? Right? I mean, it's like we, right? And I think that sometimes we can feel that way, as though resistance is, is a negative thing. But in order to break through, I have to break through. Like if, if I was, to, you know, I was thinking about that, like building a door frame here. And I've, I've been watching like cop shows lately. And I love the cop shows how they got that hammer and they like smash through the door. And I'm thinking that's the act of breaking through, right? Because sometimes I think we're used to, we're not used to breaking through because we're not that kind of culture. And so what do we do? We stand at the door and we, you know, 
million dollar flow. Uh, you, you on a, mm, you, you, you there? I don't, I don't, I don't think he's there, honey. He's not there. But, but that's not what these cops are doing. They kind of, cops give you a courtesy knock, you know? I, I think probably legally, police. police officers. I don't think cops is negative. Constable on patrol, right? It's not negative. Anyways, there's a show cops. And so I feel like if they're branding themselves cops, I'll call them cops as well. You know, I think police officers, it's like a courtesy knock, right? Where they're kind of like, as they're swinging, right? There's another cop who's like, and then the door gets, right, busted open. But I realized something, that's, that's what breaking through looks like. It was a very, very violent, they are, they're not waiting for that door. I, I, it doesn't matter if there's one lock, two locks, or they're not waiting. Mean, I've seen it before where they have chainsaws. You ever seen that before? They don't have like the, the, the battering ram guys. They actually have like this chainsaw on a stick. And they're like going like, and they like literally like, like cut the door out. And then it's, it is aggressive. It is violent. They are not waiting for something to happen in order for them to, no, they are taking that door. And I think that sometimes when we have this concept of waiting for God to do something, I think that we can do just that. We can just be waiting on God to do something. But I believe that what God is talking about when we're talking about the blessing is that it's, an, it's a violent action where, yes, it is going to require sacrifice. Yes, it is going to require that I do something. Yes, it is going to require effort. But what's on the other side of the door is actually the thing that you're believing God for. I think about this all the time. When we talk about the promised land and... You know, yes, God, we want the promised land. You know, yes, Father, bring us into that land that's flowing with milk and honeys. Uh, honey. <laughs> yes, God. But you know what I realized about the promised land? It was, it was easier for the Israelites in the desert. It was, it was easy for them. I mean, when they got to the promised land, they were not, it wasn't like Jericho was like, oh, they're here. Let them through. Just, these are God's people. They have the blood. Just, yep, yep. Leave your houses, everybody. These are the guys that, that wasn't what their story was. I mean, when they got to the promised land, there was something they had to break through. Now, it wasn't in their own strength. Remember, it wasn't in something that they did, but there was something they had to do. If they wouldn't have walked around the wall, how many of you know walking around the wall isn't a physical principle? It wasn't like they ran really fast and created a whirlwind and the wall got sucked up into, that's not what happened. It wasn't like something they did but because they did something, God was able to attach himself to the something that they did. Okay. I think this is the principle of increase. I believe that the reason sometimes where and why 
we don't experience increase is because we step to the door of breakthrough and we think that because the door of breakthrough is there, it means that whatever is beyond it is impossible. What does this look like? It looks like, forgive me for this, but I tithe, and so I feel like I have a right to talk about tithing. It's like when the offering plate goes around. Forgive me for being so candid. But when the offering plate goes around, and we know it's a principle of seed time and harvest, that when we give, God gives back to us. It's like watching that plate go around week after week after week. We don't give, and we wonder why God is not giving back to us. Let me use another example. It's like if you have a relationship, and your relationship is going in a direction that you otherwise wouldn't want it to go in a negative fashion, and your opportunity comes to respond out of love in order to change the course of the relationship. Instead of choosing love, you choose hate, and then wonder why God isn't intervening into the relationship and fixing the relationship. It's like in your physical body, when you're experiencing sickness and you can either eat chocolate bars or broccoli and you choose to eat chocolate bars and you wonder why God is not healing your body. I, 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 I forgive me for making it seem so simple, but I think if my hockey, I, I feel like some of the most simplest examples in my life are the things that have shed the greatest light on my journey because I realized that a lot of the reason why I'm not experiencing what I'm experiencing is because the pain of breakthrough in my past has been too great. When I have that last $10 in my pocket and I have an opportunity to give it or to keep it, I choose to keep it. As though somehow, magically, the $10 in my pocket is going to turn into all my needs met. In my head, I know it. In my head, I know this can't possibly happen, but I still choose the natural way of thinking over God's way. It's like when I think about the story of the Israelites, and I imagine God comes to them and he tells them, walk around the wall. Don't fight. Don't even pick up a sword. Walk around the wall. In that moment, they had a decision. They could have taken their staffs and turned them into swords but they didn't. I'm convinced that if they would have chose to walk another way, if they would have chose maybe even to circle eight times instead of seven, if they would have chose to whisper instead of shout, the outcome wouldn't have been the outcome that we read about in the scriptures. Because there is a sacrifice that we have to make in order to step into the flow of where God wants us to be. Now, it's not that my sacrifice is the thing that gets the flow started. God is the one who gets it started. Thank God it doesn't have to do with me. But I do have a part. I think about this in the story of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. I think about it because Noah is famous for, you know, Noah and the ark, right? And he is famous for that. But as I began to conceptualize the story, I realized the ark was not the crazy thing that Noah did. Okay, think about this. 
I mean, so God kills everybody on the earth, right? The flood. You remember the flood? We read about it like Noah. Oh my God, he took like, you know, 40 years to build the ark. Yeah, that was crazy. How many of you would like the responsibility of rebuilding the human race? (laughs) Right? Like, imagine that. Like, you get out of the ark and you're thinking, yeah, like, let's, let's go home, babe. And you walk out and you realize you're literally the last man on the earth. Right? I mean, the ark was bad. Like, that was a lot. It was a sacrifice. But imagine. And I think about this, and, you know, Noah is kind of given, you know, 6, 7, 8, and 9 of Genesis. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is focused on the ark. A lot of it is talking about the flood. Um, but, I, but, you know, I'm thinking if, it w- if I was instructing someone on how to rebuild humanity, you know, like, you could build a plan for an ark real quick, you know? Here, Noah, you know, take this piece of paper. Just do what the piece of paper says. Easy. Uh, imagine the intensity of how you would have to try to coach someone in order to be like, listen, man, I know you're freaking out right now because there's nobody left but you. And this whole plan for the whole world is resting on your shoulders, but don't freak out. Read these seven books and it will kind of give you a good idea of what to do to ensure the human race survives. No pressure. Yeah, that's not what God does. God actually gives him four scriptures or four verses. And as I began to conceptualize this, you know, it's wisdom that can take a complex problem and give a simple solution. And that's why I love the scripture because although it is not long, God doesn't need a lot of words to give us everything that we need. And this is what he says in Genesis 8, 18 to 22. It says this, So Noah came out together with all of his sons and his, his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and all the creatures that moved along the ground and all the birds. Everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar unto the Lord and, ta- and, and, taking, sorry, uh, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on, on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Okay? So this is Noah's interaction with God. Still, you know, hey, rebuilding the human race and really no instructions at this point. You ready for God's instruction about how Noah is going to turn this barren wasteland into the promise. Verse 22 says it like this. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. All right, buddy, that should do it. We'll see (laughs) you. Next year, same time? Awesome. That's good. And that was it. This one scripture Noah was able to rebuild the human race. One scripture, one concept. Now, I think there's either two things that could have happened here, right? Either God is seriously cruel 
and spared Noah just so he could humiliate him after, which I, I don't think that that is the God that we serve. Then there's the second option is I don't understand the power of a seed. And I think it was number two. I think it was that God built this entire world, this entire system, on the concept that if you can just sacrifice to sow a seed, it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be what you want to do. It's not always going to feel good. But the blessing of God is contained in the seed that you hold right now in your hand. And so I think that this was the concept that Jesus was trying to get across to us. When we talk about Mark chapter 4, I think that sometimes we can focus on the soil, which I think that Mark chapter 4 is definitely about the soil, and there is the reality about planting in good soil. I, I definitely believe that. But I realize that we put the emphasis on the soil. I think that it could easily, we could put the emphasis on the seed. Because yes, the soil is valid. Yes, it is important. Yes, there is a process where we have to deal with the negative things inside of ourselves, the fear, the intimidation, the worry, the self-hatred that try to keep us separated from the blessing of what God has for us. That's true. But I think in the same light, we can realize that all it took to experience the 30, the 60, and the 100-fold was simply just a seed. It was a seed. And so I want to take a little bit of time, and I'm basically closing with my four points. I want to talk about seeds because I, I feel like as we step into this place of promise, I think that this right now, this we've talked about the blessing for half of the year, and I think that at this point, at least I know this is what God is talking to me about, is that it's kind of where you know, the rubber hits the road. It's like the Lord is asking me, it's the invitation to come up, the invitation to come higher, but it's going to require that I begin to sow some seeds that I maybe don't feel like sowing. It's going to require that I would put some things into the ground that maybe would, that in the past, have made me feel afraid. Maybe in the past I've tried to do this before, but I'm just going to decide that I'm going to do it again. Maybe I have put money in the offering plate. Maybe I have declared those scriptures over my life. Maybe I have done all of these different things. But what I have to realize is, is that in order for me to become a participant of what God is desiring to do, I have to give him something that he can act upon. And so let's talk about seeds because I realized something that I may have only $5 in my hand, but that $5 is enough in order for me to experience the blessing. A farmer may have only one seed, but he could plant that one seed and it will turn into a hundred. And that a hundred seeds will turn into 10,000. And that 10,000 seeds will turn into, it's not a difficult process, but where it comes in is when I have to choose. Am I going to eat this seed? Am I going to try to protect myself with this seed? Or am I going to take this seed and am I going to plant it 
into the ground. It's the same process for all of us. It just feels different. It feels different when it's your money. It feels different when it's your body. It feels different when it's your relationship. But I tell you something, the same principles that God gave to Noah to rebuild humanity is the same thing he's going to give to you to rebuild your credit. But he starts with a seed. And so the first thing is, is that everything is a seed. We have to remember that. Every single thing that you do, every thought that you think, every action is a seed. I got this revelation a long time ago. It took a while for it to really sink in. Uh, but I, I began to think about this a long time ago, and I had this thought. If everything is a seed, do I want to reap a harvest off of this seed? You know what I really noticed it when I got married? How many of you have gone to a wedding before? Anybody? Only a few of you? I know you've all been to weddings before. Don't be shy. You can raise your hand. Your armpits don't smell that bad. Don't worry about it. It's all good, right? I, I shouldn't say I hated. I loathed weddings. Because weddings cost a fortune, don't they? I mean, that's the truth. I love love, and I love happiness. But I hate the fact that this is going to cost me, like, hundreds of dollars. Until it's my wedding. And then everybody who comes to my wedding is cheap and unappreciative. Is that true? Right, Mike and Chelsea are getting ready to get married, right? And I'm thinking, you know, when they came to my wedding, oh, now I got to, you know, when they go to their wedding? Uh, all right, all right. Do I want, do I want to reap from this seed? Do I want to reap stingy seeds? Do I want to reap hateful seeds? You know, I get impatient for some reason in the car. I'm working on it. But then I get mad at other people who are impatient with me. Like, I will hate you for doing what I'm about to do and hate you because you hate me for doing something that I did to you a few minutes ago. Do I want to reap that seed? Because, man, it feels good to sow bad seeds, doesn't it? It's true. You can all pretend that it doesn't, but it does. When you stub your foot, you don't want to give someone $100. You want to swear right? It feels good. When somebody punches you in the face, you want to burn their house down. It feels good, right? But do I want to reap that seed? You see, we all choose. And it's easy for us to change our situation because all we have to do is change the seeds that we're sowing. The second thing about seeds is this. You have to sow before you reap. I wish it was the other way around. I think about the story of Peter, and I talk about this all the time. 
you know, Jesus is looking for a boat in order to go out on, and Peter has just cleaned up his boat, and Jesus comes to Peter and says, hey, Peter, can I use your boat? And Peter responds, sure. If I was Peter, I would have said, Jesus, fill my boat, and then you could borrow it. But that's not the way that it works. Peter had to respond. He had to sow a seed. He sowed a seed with his livelihood. His bow was his livelihood. And because he sowed his seed with his livelihood, he reaped a harvest in his livelihood. Yeah. Right? right? I have to sow in the area or the direction of where I want things to happen. I tell you, it's easy to, to try to make things other people's problems. It's easy, especially in relationships. It's easy to always look at the other person and say, you're the reason why we're here, right? Like financially, right? We have no money in the bank account, honey. Right? It's easy to make things other people's problems. But my life is a result do you know nobody can steal your blessing? Do you know the same way that you sow seeds of hate, you can sow seeds of love? You ever watch somebody try to respond to a seed of love with a seed of hate? It very rarely happens. Like sometimes that'll happen in Danielle in my relationship. I say something rude to her, which is typically the other way it goes. You think that I would learn. And she's very loving if you know her. She doesn't really respond. It's like it breezes by. And then, you know, like I walk into the room and I'm like, babe, you know, why are you fighting with me, right? Trying to make it. And when you respond in love, it's easy. I mean, things just go away. Why? Because when I sow something, that's the thing that I'm going to reap. The third thing is, I reap what I sow. So in order for me to reap, I have to sow. But then when I reap, I'm going to reap what I sow. Duh. Galatians 6, 7 says it like this. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Peter sowed in his livelihood. And then he argued with Jesus when Jesus told him to cast his net. Why? Because he didn't understand the power of a seed. No, when I sow something, I tell you, you want to find somebody, I'm going to look like this. You want to find somebody who wants to marry you, go make yourself somebody who, who, who is marryable. I'm not looking at anybody. You want to be wealthy, stop being so stingy. You want to be healthy, stop eating all those chocolate bars. You want your relationship to go good? Stop being a jerk. <laughs> right? I mean, like, come on now. If Noah could rebuild the human race with the concept of understanding a seed, 
How easy is it for God to transform your life? How easy is it for God to transform your situations? How easy is it for God to transform your finances? How easy is it for God to heal your body? How easy is it for God to fix your problems? I tell you, it's easy. If Noah can rebuild the human race and David can kill Goliath and Daniel can make it out of the lion's den, if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can come out of the fiery furnace, I tell you someone, there is nothing that's too difficult for God. There's nothing. I don't care how impossible it looks. I don't care how many people told you it wasn't possible. I don't care about the statistics. I don't care about the things. I don't care about the people. I don't care about anything. I'm telling you something. There is enough power in the $5 you have in your hand right now to change your life. There is enough power in the Word of God. Kenneth Copeland says it like this. One word from God can change your life forever. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning for what you're doing. I just want to invite you just to do this. If you're believing God for something, you'd say there's a breakthrough you're believing for. I'm just going to invite you to stand up. There's something you financially, physically, emotionally, mentally, there's something that you're believing God for. like God sent me here this morning to let you know he's bigger. He's bigger than every mountain. He's bigger than every obstacle. The Bible says Jesus was given the name that's above every name. He's above cancer. He's above divorce. He's above poverty. He's above suicide and self-hatred. He's above fear and worry. His name, he's been given a name above, above, above dysfunction, above despair, above depression and anxiety, above. He is above. He's above. Father, we thank you, Lord, as we stand together in unity. You are the God of the breakthrough. You've broken every chain, broken every limitation. So we choose this morning to enter in. Father, I'm asking that you'd show us, Lord, what is our seed? What is the thing that you've called us to give? What is that area that you've called us to change? What is that thing that you've called us to do? Lord, we want to know what is that seed? Lord, over Buffalo and the church that we're starting, Lord, show us what is our seed. Lord, what is the seed to transform a region? Lord, we thank you for the seeds in our life, Lord, that you've given us to give. In Jesus' name, amen.